This sermon is going to be in the context of several weeks of sermons. I need us to see this because we talked about being all things to all people that by all means we may save some. Like we, we've, we've talked about that, living life on mission. We've talked about that. And so we want to live life on mission to reach people for Jesus. And in doing so, we're going to have to understand some of the, the, the cultural landmines in our day and age, some of the idols of our day, some of the, the religious uh, uh, things that are going on in our day that you may not quite see yet that are, are uh, religious in nature. Um, we're, and I will say this, we, we are not warring against any human, any people. We war not against in flesh and blood, but against the principalities and rulers of darkness. That's the thing. And so we don't attack people. We attack ideologies and anything that would stand against anyone coming to know, love, and trust Jesus. That's, the, that's where the war is at. It's in the spiritual realm. See all that you're like, why is he starting off the sermon like that? You, you, you'll see. I'm going to need to get there. I'm, I need it. I need you all to see that. So my hope and prayer today is that we would see that uh, God's ways are the right, not just the right ways, but the life-giving ways. The only way to life and wholeness and the only way to uh, worship God is to do the worship Him as He's ascribed Himself or, or told us he, we ought to worship Him. You know, we, we live in a world that says, let me worship, let me do what I want to do. Like, I get to define my reality. Sorry, we don't get to do that. God defines our reality. And so, that's our introduction. Here we go. Uh, you've been set free to live free. That's the first point I want us to see here today. I want you to see that we've been set free to live free. And so that's the goal. We want you to live free. Paul wants the Corinthians to live free. God wants you to live free. True freedom found in Christ. And so he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. So first he, he says, I, don't, I want you to be unaware. So there's a reality that a lot of what we're talking about today, I need you to see. Some of us just might not be aware of it in the way that I'm going to describe it. Uh, I'm going to try to just be honest to the text and also make real application to our day, 2023, San Antonio, Texas, United States of America, our day in age, in our context. And it may get you know, a little rowdy in the sense that some of you will just get really angry at some of the things I'm going to say. And I need you to see that what we are doing, I don't want you to be unaware of what God's word says and how to apply it. He's talking to the church. and He says, our fathers who were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud and into the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. So Jesus is the rock. Um, nevertheless, with most of them, hear this, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. God wasn't pleased with them. So let's talk about it. They've been set free. They were, they, were, they were to live free when they were set free. So what he's first speaking to is that God's people uh, were set free from Egyptian slavery, Back in Exodus, they were set free, and they were, they, he, God used Moses, the leader, to go tell the wicked ruler, Pharaoh, who was a, a demonic dude, who had, they had many gods. It was that they worshipped the, fa- the false gods in Egypt, and he told them that God said, hey, let my people go. And so for most of us, we kind of know that, you know, let my people go. We kind of know that refrain, and, and you're like, the issue was slavery. I need you to see the issue, the biggest issue wasn't slavery, it was worship. If you remember what God tells uh, Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that we may go worship in the wilderness. They were set free from slavery in Egypt to go worship God without constraints, without the government telling them how to worship God. You got to hear it. That's what it was. To worship God freely as we ought to worship him. 
No governing ruler or authority ought to tell God's people how to worship God. Period. If you're like, he is going somewhere. Like, yeah, that's where we're going. And so God set his people free from Egyptian slavery to go live in the wilderness, to follow him in the wilderness to where? The promised land. Freedom to go worship God into the promised land. We have been set free from sin and slavery to death, and we are in a proverbial wilderness until we get to the new heavens and new earth, which is the true promised land. That what, that's what's going on. So Paul references this to the Corinthians because they're in a similar day, a similar age, a similar culture that we're in. And he's also going to show them that the things happened in old, the Old Testament were, were relevant to their, their time, the New Testament time. I need you to see the stuff that's going on in the Old Testament, the New Testament are also happening today in 2023. So first, he's, they, they've been set free to live free, to not worship the gods of Pharaoh, the, not worship the gods of, uh, uh, of, the, of the Egyptians, but to worship Yahweh, the one true God. And so God sets them free. So it means they're leaving the rule and reign of the false gods in Egypt to worship the true God. That's where they're headed. And he says they were baptized into Moses. He also explains that there's this spiritual rock. And he explains there in verse 4 that this is, uh, all, they all, this is all about Jesus. Jesus was the rock. They were, bapt- they were truly baptized into Jesus. They were truly, uh, uh, Jesus was the provider of the spiritual rock. What he's showing here is that though of old, Moses led them out. Though God provided through a, a rock a, a, of water, though God provided their needs, He's wanting them to see that Jesus is the savior of the whole thing. Egypt wasn't about simply being set free from Egyptian slavery. It was, a, it was a pattern and precedent of God setting his people free from sin in order to worship him, united under the boundary uh, uh, in, in, the, in the rule and reign of Christ. And so what he says is that Christ is the rock. He rules, he reigns, he governs, he is the provide for them. He is to save them. He is to sustain them. We are united to Jesus. That is what he is saying. Therefore, we must be in submission to him. Word we don't like. That means that Jesus is the boss. He's in control. He calls the shots. He gets to define what good is. You don't. I don't. He gets to define what life is. You don't. I don't. He does. He gets to define reality. He gets to define everything. He gets to tell us what is worship and what is idolatry. And he says, sadly, many in verse 5, it says that nevertheless, most of them, most of them, most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In the wilderness, while they were, they were set free from Egyptian slavery, they were, they were moving towards the promised land. The, the people began to grumble. They began to worship false gods. We'll talk about that here in a moment. They, began to, they were overthrown by the sin in their own heart, led astray, and God was not pleased with them. I need you to see this. It is possible, and it is, it is possible for God's people to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, to, to affirm the gospel, and walk in a manner that is displeasing to God. They're not free. They, they've been set free to live free, but they're still literally God's people were saying, hey, we should go back to, we should go back to Egypt. At least, at least we knew that Pharaoh was what he would do. You know, we, we understood. We could, we could predict it. He was predictable. God is like making us like trust him. God is like 
taking us through valleys. He's taking us through wilderness. He's like providing quail sometimes. And man, we don't like, we don't like quail sometimes. And we want something different. And so we got to find a new God. See, the heart of man is quickly prone to forsake the, our Savior Jesus and to try to find other ways to satisfy the longings of our soul instead of the God who made us. And so sadly, many of them were, they displeased God. And I want you to see in our day, we are often more concerned about what an individual feels and what is pleasing to the self than what's pleasing to God. True or false? I guess true. In our day, we are more concerned about how individuals feel or what's pleasing to the individual self than what is pleasing to God. This gets us into a lot of trouble. I mean, if you're, just imagine, you're married and like one of you think one thing, one of you think the other, you're already fighting, right? And we're just talking about dinner. Like, now imagine God designs what's good, God designs what's right, God designs what's fair, God designs how we should worship, and then we as mankind go, nah, that's not pleasing to me. I don't really like that. I don't like the way that makes me feel. Or, I don't really like that, God. I'm going to rebel against that. That is at the heart of what sin is. We're far more concerned about pleasing ourselves than pleasing God. This is the root of sin. What is pleasing to me? This is what happened to Eve and Adam in the garden, right? If you remember, Eve saw the tree. She looked upon the tree, and she saw that it was what? Desirable or pleasurable to eat. And what did she do? She therefore took and ate. That's how sin works. You look, and you go, that seems pleasing, Sin is pleasurable. It's enslaving and it traps, but it's pleasurable. Everything that, is, that feels good isn't good. Everything that seems desirable isn't desirable. And so the root of sin is asking the question, what is in it for me? What is pleasing to me? Another way to say it is the root of sin is how can I worship me? How can I worship me? The root of sin is not simply desires. It's who you worship. Who you worship. The Bible is clear that, that we worship God through loving him. That means we have an affection for him and obeying his command and law. That's how we worship God, by loving him and obeying him. Through, through loving him, we say, you, we, we have affection for you. Our hearts are united to you. We love you. We agree with you. And then we obey you. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commands. So if God, who loves us, and we love him, and he says, hey, here's the rule, and here's the reign, here's how you live, and here's, this is for your good, your flourishing, for your thriving, because he's a good, good father who loves his kids and wants to provide when we worship him, we go, we agree with you. And sometimes it means that we agree with you and I, we struggle to see it as good. Because, right, Eve, that was her struggle. Why can't I eat from this tree? It looks good. Right? We live in a world that says, man, if it feels good, it should be good. Who are you hurting? Imagine Eve asking that, who am I going to hurt? It's just a piece of fruit. It's just a piece of fruit. Little did she know she would ruin it for everybody. All of us, even today, were like, Eve, don't eat it. But like, you need to know now, when you're going to, uh, tempted to rebel against God, you should hear your own voice going, hey, don't eat it. Don't rebel. You're going to ruin it not just for you, but for generations. Sin does not just affect one person. It affects every person. 
And so this is the root of sin, is, is who are we going to worship? Sin chooses to worship self. And so we are called not to worship ourselves, but worship the one true and living God. And so is pleasure sinful? I need you to hear this. Is pleasure sinful? No. Is happiness sinful? No. Is finding pleasure in ways that God forbids sinful? Yes. Is finding happiness apart from Christ in his word, will, and ways sinful? Yes. God is not a God who doesn't want you to be joyful and full of pleasure. In fact, in Psalm 16, 11, it says in his presence, when you're in God's presence, there's fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. He has more joy and pleasure to dispense to you than anything. He's all about pleasure, all about joy, and he wants you to enjoy it in, in a proper context according to his word and ways. And so if you're a Christian, you need to see this. You've been set free from sin to live free in him, in Christ. We've, you've passed through the sea into salvation. You've come under the cloud, which means you've come under Jesus' rule and reign. You've been baptized into Jesus' family. He is still going to provide for your physical, spiritual needs. He is your source of life, your salvation, and your security. He is the one who defines good. He defines reality. He is the one we should worship. Now, verse 6. And we're going to spend the, rest, the majority of the rest of our sermon right here in this, asking this question. If that is true, if we're to worship Jesus, we've been set free to live free, will we learn from their example? Paul is about to talk about those people who, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. He's going to use them as an example to the Corinthian church to go, hey, don't do this. This was written for your example. Don't follow in their way. So you've got to ask yourself the question. If you, you know, love, and trust Jesus, you've been set free from your sin, will you learn from the men and women of old, those who have done right in God's sight and those who have rebelled? We're going to look at those, the rebellious today. Verse 6 says, now these things took place. Here, here's what he says. These things took place as an example for us. Why? That we might not desire evil as they did. When Eve was seeking the fruit, she, she in her mind thought she was desiring something good. She wanted to satisfy her taste buds. She wanted to satisfy her longings. Maybe who she, her passions. You know, she wanted to follow her passion, her dream. It was an evil desire because it was a, a distortion of what was true. So what Paul wants us to do, he doesn't want us to be unaware. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. And he wants us to learn from the examples of others. He says, verse 7, he's connecting this. What is the issue? Idolatry. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as, them, as, as some of them did. And 20,000 fell in a single day. Means, or Sorry, 23,000 fell in a single day. 23,000 people fell in a single day. God took them out. Not in the game, out of the game. Like Paul is being super serious with this church. He says, verse 9, he says, we do not put God to the test. So this isn't a threat. What he is saying is like, we should learn. If God killed them in the wilderness, we should take this very seriously. If when Eve... And Adam, they, they sinned against God. God cut, cut humanity off from his presence. That's a big deal. We should take note. Learn from their examples. 
and not to, and why? What are we learning? Not just, not a, and here's what you need to see. We're not learning moralism. We're learning worship. Not to desire evil like they did, and therefore they became idolaters. He says, don't be idolaters. As some of the, the issue is idolatry. The issue is worship. See, idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. Adam and Eve were idolaters. The scriptures are clear, like I have said. When we disobey God, we are, we are choos- choosing to worship ourselves or something else. And John Calvin said, the great reformer, he says that our hearts are idol factories, perpetually making idols. Like in our heart, we, we want to perpetually make things. So we move from one thing to the next thing to worship, to satisfy our hunger. Like, you know, a lot of people will knock the, the, the polytheistic folks, and you're like, man, those, they worship many gods. So do Americans. It's just like we have a god of TV entertainment called Netflix. We have, we have a few of them. Uh, you know, maybe you got the Disney Plus app. You got a few apps. You got a few gods of entertainment and worship. If it's sports, you got, you know, ESPN. You got these, you got these, you got these apps that you go to when you, when you need something, you need your fix, and uh, you need to, your, your time. Maybe it's a, a Instagram. Maybe it's social media. We got different things technologically that we use to, to, to distract us from our reality. That's what false worship is, a distraction, a distortion of reality. Additionally, we can go to people, uh, we literally call some people in our day and age, oh, that guy's my idol, that woman's my idol, I look up to her, these are influencers, these are literally people we worship, I want to be an influencer, please don't, it's not a Christian thing, there's no Christian influencers, just want you to know. And you're like, is there? And I kind of, it's called Christian idolatry if you want to do that, and we don't believe in that, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. You can influence people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if your chief desire is, I want to be a Christian influencer, be careful. Be careful. You want, to be a, you want people to, you should be like John the Baptist. So we made a joke earlier uh, today before service. Some of y'all were here, so you're going to hear it. I'm going to explain it a little bit. But John the Baptist, his goal was to point to Jesus. He said, I want to get out of the way. I want to play the background. I want to point to Jesus. Then he got his head chopped off. So that's like, you know... That's maybe how it ends, you know? So here's the, that's the reality. Worship is the issue. Idols distort worship. And so all of us are idolaters. I need you to see that. All of us have our hearts that perpetually want to create things, to go to things other than God, to find hope, joy, satisfaction in life. And then we're also in a world that we, we go to these different things to learn how to live life. So we learn from, from, from our influencers in the world on how to worship, how to spend our money, how to spend our time, how to, how to do it all, right? And so what he says here is that they rose to eat and drink and play. What he is trying to get us to see is that we worship God not just by singing songs and hearing sermons or by taking communion. Those are acts of worship, definitely. But he's saying that we worship through uh, what we eat, what we drink. The entirety of human life is worship. We spent a lot of time on that last week. The entirety of human life is worship. So you wake up, you don't go to work, you go to worship. You worship with your work. You didn't come to church to worship. You came, you, you came and you're going to wor- either worship Jesus here or you're going to worship someone else here. You can worship an idol at church. True. You're getting your car and you go home and then you could worship your mom or you can worship God by celebrating your mom today. There are differences. See, everything that's been given to us has been given to us to steward in such a way to worship God with it rather than worshiping the things or stuff itself that we've been given. God has given us all these things, great things. 
And he wants us to see that, one, they're a gift, so they want, we should enjoy them. And two, we should steward them in such a way that that shows that we worship the God who gave them, not the, not the created thing itself. And so the way we play, the way we parent, the way we work, the way we have family, the way we eat, the way we drink is all done to the glory of God. And what does that look like? It means that we do it in a, in a posture of thankfulness, in a posture of loving Him, in a, a posture of adoration, but also in a posture of obedience. That means that if you parent in a way that is ungodly, you're an idolater. See, equal opportunities. We're all idolaters. If you, if you, you know, love someone in a way that is not loving according to the scriptures, then you are an idolater. If you, we'll get to that in 1 Corinthians 13, so I'll hold off on that one. But if you, if you work in a way that is not glorifying to God, you are an idolater. Your money, your time, your talent, everything has been given to you to worship God with it. And that means that you must obey Him with it. So if you use your money in a way that God forbids, idolatry. The root of the issue is worship there. Who do you worship? That's the refrain for today. And so what happens is they, he, when he's quoting uh, the, the fact that they ate, drank, and rose to play, he, this is the direct quote coming from Exodus 32, where Moses, in Exodus 32, Moses is on the mountain talking to God, worshiping God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. You know what happens? Well, he's up there getting the Ten Commandments. The people, what do they do? They make a golden calf. They throw a worship service. They have church. Why? Because Moses is taking too long, and you know what? They need stuff. This is, this is worth Like, God, I need you. How many of you pray like an idolater? God, I need you, and I only talk to you when I need you. Right? He's not a genie in a bottle. He, he's God. And so I'm not saying you can't pray for things. You should ask for things. Absolutely, you should. But the, the, they, were, they didn't really worship God in the wilderness. They, they worshiped themselves. And so they had some needs. Moses is up there. He can't meet our needs. He's, he's, he's away. He's busy. We're gonna, what are we going to do? We're going to, hey, everyone, let's do, take tithes and offerings. Let's do it. Get all your gold. Let's melt it down. We'll make a calf. We'll make a calf. And then we're going to all worship it. And what they end up doing is they make the same sacrifices, the same offerings that they made to the Lord just before they were confirmed in the covenant. And back in, in chapter 24 uh, of Exodus, they make, they make the same sacrifices to this golden calf that they did to Yahweh earlier. So they took their time, talent, and their treasure, what they were using to worship Yahweh, the one God of the Bible, and they used their same talent and treasure and time to worship this false God that they made, created with their own hands. That's idolatry. Now, you might not build a golden calf, but you might take your time, talent, and treasure and use it to worship little mini gods. That's, what's, that's, that's the core of our heart. It's prone to wonder in that direction. So Paul is quoting this to show God's people that just because you, you come to church, just because you, you're sitting in the room and you're part of the, the gathering, that, that Christians, that, and just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you believe in Jesus, that isn't enough. You're like, what is not? I thought I needed... Yeah, demons believe in Jesus too. That's what I'm trying to say. It's who do you, do you worship him? Demons don't worship Jesus. Satan doesn't worship Jesus. They believe in him. Like they have more faith than most atheists. They, they're unashamed believers in Jesus. They just don't worship him. That's the question. The question is not who do you uh, ideologically identify as. The question is who do you worship? Who do you worship? 
So Moses, their leader, is on the mountain. He comes back down. They're worshiping a golden calf. Uh, they're not actually worshiping the God of the Bible. And so what is, and, and he's up there. He's getting the Ten Commandments. Number one, the first commandment. Do you know what that is? It's no other gods. God's telling him, hey, first thing I want you to know, don't have any other gods. He gets it down. And he's like, what the heck? Number one? Y'all did number one first. God knew something. That's our problem. We're prone to exchange the worship of God for false gods. Number two is don't make idols. What? You broke one and two? Here's the reality. When you break number one, you break number two, you break the rest. If you break number three, number five, number eight, whatever it is of the ten, it really starts with you broke number one, number two, period. You can't, if you're an adulterer, the reason is, is because you don't worship the one true and living God. You, may, you had false gods. So sex was your God. Uh, you had some sort of idolatry there. If, if you're stealing, you're robbing, you're murdering someone, any of those, the, the issue is worship too. You, you don't worship the God of the Bible. You don't live your life in a way in submission to his word, will, and ways. You don't obey or love his commands. Idolatry. And so he says, he wants us to learn from their examples. And so this word's going to get even more tough. It's going to get more tough. Verse 8, he says, We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a day. We must not put God to the test. So in their day, what happened? So we just re- referenced the, the idolatry in verse 7 and the, the idolatry that happened in, uh, on, on, uh, on the mountain, the golden calf. Well, what's going on here in verse 8, is sexual morality is referring back to Numbers 25, when God's people, I'm not going to read the whole Numbers 25, but uh, God's people, they, quote, hoard themselves after the daughter of Moab. That's in the Bible. That's what it says. They hoard themselves out after the daughters of Moab and sacrificed to their false gods. So they sexually united themselves to, to, to non-Christian women, and then they started worshiping their, their false gods. That's what happened. And the text says later, it says they yoked God's people, yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And their worship consisted of this type of sex. This word Baal is a, a, a deity, and in many iterations, not just the Moabites, but others uh, throughout the Old Testament had th- this god Baal, which re- really means God. It's, it's, it's a name for just a general name for God. It was Baal of Peor. It's usually Baal related to, 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 who, to some sort of way they worshipped this god. And Peor, I'm not to be too crazy, but uh, uh, this name meant uh, opening. It was a reference to uh, um, uh, penetration and, uh, and you, know, or, uh, you know, those type of things that happened sexually. That's what it was. Like, this is what the thing is, is that Baal of Peor was, uh, was um, this type of god of sex, if you will. It, this god was worshipped through the sex acts through penetration of different sorts. Like, wow, that sounds crazy. And why are we talking about that? Well, that's what he says, that the Corinthians were dealing with Aphrodite. They had the temple of Aphrodite. That's where they were going to. Orgies, crazy things are going on there. And Paul's writing to them and going, man, y'all think this Aphrodite stuff is just new. You think that this demonic sex cult like, is, is, was only Baal of Peor and all, all these Old Testament. You need to understand that there's demonic sex cult here in your city of Corinth. The temple of Aphrodite is, is a distortion. It's a worship of sex. It's not a distortion of God of the Bible. And so, man, they're having 
sex the world's way. That's what the Corinthians were already doing. We've already talked about that at length in other sermons. But they're having sex the world's way. They're having sex outside of marriage, multiple partners. One dude in the church has his mom's or his stepmom is sleeping with his stepmom, which is why. Like, that's going on in the church. And Paul has already said that the non-Christians don't even do that. He's trying to get them to see. He's like, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I want you to learn from their example. I need us to see too. We must learn from their example as well. That sex rules our day. It does. Sex is always about worship though. I need you to see this. Sex is always about worship. You will either worship God with sex in the context of biblical marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime, or you'll worship sex as God. Or You'll worship your partner as God or yourself as God. See, the way you have sex defines who you worship, period. Period. And that's what he is saying. And so they're sacrificing their bodies. And this is what, this is what it is. The marriage bed is an altar. You've got to see it this way. The marriage bed is an altar where two come together uh, and they give themselves to one another sacrificially, their bodies as an act of worship, either to, to God rightly so, or unto themselves, or to some other thing. In Baal of Peor, they were worshiping a false god with their sex acts. Biblical marriage, fidelity, sexuality is a place where vulnerability and intimacy and unity are had. The marriage bed is an altar of worship to the one true and living God. And so in in the context of biblical marriage, Sex should be glorifying to God. It should be free. It should be safe. It should be, it, it, there should be one man, one woman, one life security. When we deviate from God's design, I need you to see this. When we deviate from God's design, we are idolaters just like those who the 23,000 fell in one day who worshiped and yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. That means any sex act Outside of, the, uh, of, of one man, one woman in marriage, sin. Like, I don't like that. I know. None of, no sinner likes to be told that they are convicted. They're, they're wrong. It's just, I don't write the terms. I don't write the book. God does. And Paul is writing to this church. And he's going, I want you to be free. You're not living free. I want to set you on a path of freedom. When we, deviate from, uh, in any, uh, when we deviate from God's design, it does not lead to life and flourishing. God defines what's good. God defines how sex is to be enjoyed. And so if that hasn't offended you enough, and you're not like, okay, we've, we've gotten pretty serious, let's talk about, we don't have a Baal, a Peor. We don't have a temple of Aphrodite. But we do have a demonic sex cult in our day. And this is where I hope you see that I'm not knocking people, not knocking organizations. I'm knocking an ideology, a demonic ideology. I want to stand up and and tell you that I could say, hey, you know what? This was was really crazy. They had Aphrodite. They had Baal of Peor. And just look how, look how, how how ancient they were. Look how narrow-minded they were. They just, they didn't get it. They had all these false gods and so ancient worship. Our day, we've, we've, we've evolved. We've evolved past that day. No, there's nothing new under the sun. Our demonic sex cult is called the LGBTQIA+. 
And let me be clear, this is not a, an attack on people in the community. It's not at all. This is a watchman from the tower saying you've been deceived and you're being deceived. Got quiet. The LGBTQIA is a sex religion. It's in its name. Like it is. It's a false gospel too. It all, it's like Baal. It's like Aphrodite and Corinth. These are, it has denominations. And through the letters, we have L, lesbian, G, gay, B, bisexual, T, transgender, Q, queer or questioning, I, intersex, A, asexual, aromantic, or agender, or A, to refer to an ally that anyone or someone who does not identify as LGBTQIA could, uh, who supports, can be a part of it, and then plus for whatever's next. It keeps going. Some of you are like, man, this just, really we're going to do this? I need you to see, this is a demonic sex religion, just like Baal of Peor. And if we're going to be missionaries in our day and age, in our context, in, in our day, and we're going to reach people for the cause of Christ, we have to understand their gods and the culture. If you were to go to China and you're going to, oh, I want you to learn about Buddhism. What is Buddhism? Let me understand it. I'm going to go to India. Let me learn about Hinduism because I'm going to reach the Hindus. You live in America. We have a religion. It's called the LGBTQIA+. That's their new name. It keeps adding. You know, we keep getting. We have like a, 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 a two-spirit now, and I don't know how to put that in the, 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 the matrix. But, you know, here we go. This is a heralding to say. This is a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit sexuality, a counterfeit movement that is not allowing people to see the gospel, the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, and live free. How is it expressed? How is this religion expressed? Sex acts outside of the context of God's design. Openly and proudly. That's number one. Number two, there's a salvation offered through this religion, and that's through acceptance without repentance, affirmation without transformation. They do, however, have transitioning of genders, which is a counterfeit gospel. Jesus doesn't transition us. And you just see this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he transforms us. He makes us new. This gospel tells you that you must be, God did not make you right, and you must now be mutilated in order to worship God correctly. I need you to understand, even other forms of Baal in the, in the Old Testament, they would mutilate their bodies as an act of worship. In First and Second Kings, we see this. And so we don't transition, we get transformed by Jesus. We are not a, a, a different version of once we once were. We are a new creation in Christ. See, genders offer a new way to identify yourself. That's what it is. This is the salvation. If I can transition my gender, then I can now move from who I once was, who was not good, not right. I didn't feel comfortable in my own body. I, did not, uh, uh, I, wasn't, I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like myself. I was all mixed up and confused. Instead of offering the, the, the truth of the gospel, faith and repentance in Jesus, hope, life, and salvation, we just say, we affirm that. Here's how you can get your change. Men, we can cut off your parts. Ladies, we can do some other things too. And you know what? This is going to ruin you for the rest of your life, but we're not going to tell you that because that's not, affir that's not affirming. See, it's not good for humanity. Even non-Christians know this. Like, this is not like a right-wing, you know, some of you will think this. It's a right-wing Christian thing only. Like, everyone who is not 
drinking from the well of this demonic cult sees this. doesn't mean that everyone who's not a part of it or doesn't call it out is a Christian. But I'm just trying to say this is a false religion. Additionally, Jesus institutes baptism as our sign and seal of salvation. The LGBTQ+, their sign and seal of religion are pronouns and body mutilation. That's an ex- like We've had circumcision in the Old Testament, New Testament, we have baptism. Now we have another way to mark in our body which team you're on, which religion, which God you worship. See, in doing so through the pronoun changing and the body mutilation, what we're doing is declaring that God the creator is wrong. He didn't make me this way. See, it used to be when it was just like LGBT, that's where we were, LGB. Like when we were just there, it was just like, man, God made me this way. And so we're just going to affirm that. That's what it used to be. It used to be like, hey, man, God made me this way. So I'm going to live out my God-given right as a LGB person. That's what I'm going to do. Now it's like we're, there, it's totally clear that God did, was wrong. He did not make me right. Now I'll say this, coming back to my statement. The born like this statements, I love you all. I'll affirm that only in the sense that uh, we're all born sinners and need to repent. That's what we are. We're born sinners who need transformation. We need Jesus. But that wasn't enough. So they, they moved on to now uh, not just we're born like this. Is No, God is wrong. We've, they, this religion openly, publicly declares God to be not creator, blessed forever, but creator wrong. And therefore, we must change what God put together. Just imagine God who loves you so much, created you a certain way, and you're like, you're wrong, God. He's like, no, I'm not wrong. I love you. You're dis- it's distorted. You're not seeing the truth. You're being led astray. And Christians are supposed to come set captives free. And what do we do? Next month, we have our own rainbow flags in our bio. Churches all over the nation next month, Pride Month, will wave the banner to Baal of Peor. They will. When we could actually help captives be set free, we just affirm. We affirm in such a way that it's going to have massive, massive negative effects on children with puberty blockers, hormones. We're sterilizing an entire generation. What is the issue? Worship. Worship. Don't hear me say the issue is politics. The issue is the LGBTQ community. The issue is no human. The issue is worship. The issue is God. What are you going to do with him? Will you worship him as he commanded? The suicide rates are even higher after one transitions their gender than before. We're now helping people move towards a greater path of destruction. It continues. They have evangelism too and education. They have, they have drag show story time, school curriculum, media propaganda. This religion has hijacked the entire, the entire Democratic Party and the Black Lives Matter organization. Those, they're, 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 Black Lives Matter used to be a, claiming to be about black lives. It's not. It's about trans movement. It is. It is. And so this, this religion has hijacked whole sections of our nation. And it's sweeping 
our nation through parades, commercials, so much so that 20% of Gen Z, 20% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQIA. 20% for perspective, just for some perspective. There's only 18 to 19% of the United States who are Hispanic. There's only 12 to 13 12 to 13% of our country is African-American, meaning there's more, this trend, there's going to be more, you know, LGBTQIA plus folks than, than, than whole cate- minority categories in our nation. The numbers don't match. They don't make sense. What's happening? There's just a, a evangelism, a propaganda, and it's converting the children of our nation. It is. And see, Jesus offers life. I'm gonna, it's going to get worse, guys. Here we go. Jesus offer life, offers life. But this sex religion, what does it do? It promotes death, promoting the extermination, the murder of unborn children as a human right. That's how you worship, Baal of Peor. That's what the prophets would do. If I, if, I, if I can worship myself with my sex life or worship my spouse or, or, or sorry, not my spouse, whoever, whoever, Worship with my sex, and it yields fruit, then I can terminate that to the God I worship. Additionally, they market themselves. They have a strategy. They have a term. They have a banner. It, it, they, they ha- it's, it's a real organized position. It's, the term is called pride. That didn't tell you it was demonic I don't know what else did. James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A whole, this whole movement has set themselves apart to oppose the God of the Bible. And what is their agenda? To get more people to join them. To lure them away from the God of the Bible so they would, they would experience this false salvation, a counterfeit God in the sex religion. Additionally, the LGBTQIA plus religion has a symbol. And this symbol was stolen from God. It's a symbol of the rainbow. In Genesis, where God gave the symbol to his people once for all time so that we would remember the wrath of God being poured out on humanity and God's promise for redemption. Another counterfeit gospel. The LGBTQ plus does not have the ability to save. It has the ability to, to create a false sense of salvation. And so this is a demonic counterfeit. For those who are identifying, so, so those who are defining sex to the masses, this is them. They're defining sex to the masses. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We're going to see a day where Jesus saves people out of that community, out of that demonic sex cult. You're going to see it. I've already seen it. I've seen men who have transitioned, that who were once were born male, cut off their genitalia, got their Adam's apple sand down, got vo- vocal cords changed, breast implants, meet Jesus, get saved, get tr- transformed, and realize this all was a, a facade. This wasn't life. And what they've done is they've given their life to Jesus, and now they're living on mission. Many of them are going to Africa to preach the gospel there. 
They, they don't care about how they look anymore because they, they understood, saying that they've ruined their, their external features. They won't have kids anymore, so they made themselves eunuchs for the cause of Christ. I've seen it, and it's going to happen. So if we're going to live life on mission, we're going to be all things to all people, we've got to know and understand that this is not just a group of people who have, oh, this is just what they like. This is just how they identify themselves as. This is just, you know, uh, uh, you know a, a non-harmful group of people. This is a demonic sex religion movement, just like Baal of Peor, just like God says, they've yoked themselves and whored themselves out after this. So too has our nation and many churches whored themselves out after this demonic sex religion in our day. Now, I understand what I've just said is likely to be considered by some hate speech. Just to clarify, we hate no one. We love everyone. We, we love those who are in the LGBTQ plus community. We want to reach them for Jesus. We want them to actually be set free, to live free. We understand that there is a day coming where people will come to faith and that we need to be a church that can, that can be a place for discipleship, for renewal, for, to help those who've been saved and transformed by Jesus who are coming out of that community re-enter the world that we live in. We're going to be a church that way. And if you may not know it, there are people in our church that have struggled in all these different types of areas and we've seen much, we've seen a lot of redemption in this regard. We'll continue to do this type of ministry. But we need to see this. If we're gonna live life on mission, this is the type of religion that has taken over our entire world. And so I'm not advocating for any harm or, 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 or dehumanizing anyone. In fact, I'm actually saying the opposite. The LGBTQIA plus dehumanizes its own people. It takes image bearers of God, the Imago Dei, and tells them that, that God did not make them correctly. God was not right. That God, God is wrong. Leading them away from life, truth, hope, and salvation. And so... I'm simply here saying to that community, you've taken the bait. You've been deceived. I'm sitting here you know, sounding the siren saying, turn around. This is a false ideology. This is a false religion. Put your faith in a true, in true freedom. His name's Jesus. He is the only hope, the only Savior, the only way of salvation. He is our creator, God, and made no mistakes. Paul says to the Corinthians that they're putting God to the test. I need you to see, we as a nation are putting God to the test. Our nation and its leaders must repent. Christians, you must repent if you find yourself yoked to this demonic regime. That could be, here's how you are yoked to this. It's not going to be exactly like you think. Some of you think it's only your oak to it if you've got a rainbow flag in your bio and like, you know, you have a pride shirt. No, here's the first way is any heterosexual male that's looking at porn is an idolater in cahoots with the enemy on this one. That's blasted most of America. You're a traitor. You are. You're saying in one hand that I, you know, I affirm God's way, God's sex ethic, but I'm denying it with my life. It's not about what you affirm in your mind. It's who you worship with your life. That's the issue. That's the, that's the first offender of this. Second, how, how are you having sex? You're having sex outside of the context of biblical marriage? Idolater. 
you're having sex in ways that do not please God, idolater. You're part of, you're part of the movement that's leading people away from knowing the, 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 the knowledge and trust in the one true and living God. You're a traitor. You've made, you're in cahoots with the enemy. Hear it today. Hear the warning. Turn. Come back. Worship God with your life. Worship God with your sex. We must be a people who do not put God to the test. If you're affirming, promoting, drag shows, all those type of stuff, next month we'll find out whose team everyone's on. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Do not test God. Our fight is not against these people. It's not against people, but it's, it, our fight is to help people be set free in order to live free. Do not put God to the test, verse 9, as some of them did and then were destroyed by serpents or grumble. Some of you are grumbling right now. You're just complaining. You're complaining about what I just said. You're complaining about you're arguing against God. God, why? No, I, this feels good. I know family members. These are good people. Again, what I'm talking about is, is an ideology that's leading people away from knowing the truth and light of the gospel of Jesus. I'm also talking about sin in our own heart and sexual sin in our own church that we need to repent of. Like grumbling, oh, I just don't, it's just, why do, I, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do it that way? Well, the question is not why do you have to do this. It's like, who do you worship? Who do you worship? So in, the, in their grumbling, some of them grumbled in ignorance. Some of them complained willfully. He says they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. These are examples to us to learn from. These are examples to remind us about who we are to worship and how we are to worship. God is a jealous God. And he will not share his glory with anyone else. And so I'm not saying I'm a person who's better than anyone. I'm not saying Christians are saying that they're better than anyone. We're just simply telling the world we were once bound by sin, once enslaved to Satan, the serpent deceived us, we were held captive, and then through the gospel, someone told us about Jesus and we were set free. We're just simply telling everyone this is where freedom is at. This is where freedom is at. Do you want freedom? We got a guy. There's only one guy. His name's Jesus. He's died in your place for your sins. That means that every sin, past, present, and future sin, their sin, our sin, the sins to come, the sin, sexual sins, the sins of the heart, pride, arrogance, all sins, God in, in Jesus Christ has died for. He's taken the punishment, he's taken the punishment for sinners. The punishment does not go to the people. It goes to the Savior who takes it, who removes the wrath, deletes the sin in the account, offers new life, hope, redemption, salvation, puts in our account his righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the way to freedom. And then we live like those kids, the king's kids, who've been adopted out of slavery into Christ's kingdom. We have a new name. A new, we have everything new. We have a book that he wrote to us to teach us how to live like the new people we are. 
And so we're not saying we're better. We're just saying we've been set free. We know what slavery is like to sin. We're offering hope and salvation. Verse 12 reminds us, though, that all of us are still susceptible to being deceived and enticed by sin. Let not anyone think he, if he thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Every generation needs to hear this. Every, every generation needs to hear this warning. That's why it was Baal, multiple iterations of Baal in the Old Testament. You got Aphrodite in the Greek, Greco-Roman world. We have what we have today in our world now. It's just a reiteration of the same thing. And so as we enter time, we got to see this, that God is faithful and we must escape temptation. Temptation is not the sin. Temptation is the attempt to believe something that is not true. The enemy's temptation is to distort reality so you would believe something uh, that God said is true that will, he'll deny that, he'll lie to you. Temptation is, the, is, the, is the, uh, the I almost got duped phase. If you get duped, you sinned. That's what it is. Sin is the acting on the temptation. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We're all tempted. We're all sexually tempted. We're all um, tempted to affirm what God forbids in our own heart, in our own lives. And we're tempted towards our own pride. We're tempted towards anger, greed, lust. We're all tempted. And it's real common to man, he says. We're all tempted and it's common. Again, temptation is not the sin. Sin is when we act on the temptation. God is faithful, however, and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape for you so that you may be able to endure it. You're tempted sexually. You're tempted to edit the Bible to please your own self. You're tempted to, to avoid certain passages of Scripture. You're tempted towards sinful anger. You're towards sinful lust, some counterfeits. Uh, you're, you're tempted towards grumbling. You're tempted towards disobeying. Where are you tempted? The issue of temptation lies at who are you going to worship in, in light of that temptation? The temptation shows up. The question next is, who are you going to worship? Will you worship God in obedience or will you worship yourself and give in to the temptation? The temptation you are facing, you need to see this, is, is, no greater than he, is not greater than he who is in you. For we are told that he who is in you, if you're a Christian, is, is greater than he who is in the world. He has overcome. And so in the moment of temptation, you first must remind yourself that Jesus is with you. He's greater. You must also tell your temptation the good news that, hey, I'm, I'm free. I'm a free man. I don't have to do that. I've been set free. I've been set free. I don't have to keep going down this path of disobedience. I can go down the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, I can live free. Number two, know your way out. Know your way out. When temptation comes, do you, okay, Jesus is with you. Do you know your way out? He's like the, the SEAL Team 6 that comes in to rescue you, and you've got to follow them out. You've got to follow Jesus out. He's making a way for escape. Do you see it? Are you listening to him? Are you following him? Are you asking, Lord Jesus, I'm in temptation. Where's the way out? When you are tempted, Jesus will provide the way of escape. Follow him out. And lastly, faithfully endure. Fleeing temptation is exhausting. That's what he says. He doesn't say he'll provide a way for escape. It'll be, really, it'll be really easy. He says he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Temptation can be exhausting. Affirming culture, cultural idols are easy. It's easy. Everyone loves you. Loves you for that. Resisting will, will, will cause 
condemnation, accusation from your peers, your family, your coworkers, the culture, that's difficult. From your own temptation, enduring your own temptation every day, resisting what's your, your own pleasure for what God says is good, that can be difficult. So remind yourself that Jesus is with you and he is greater and he is good and what he has for you is best. And follow him on the way out and experience the life, the free life that he, he has for you. You've been set free to live free. And when it gets hard, just know that he will provide for you the endurance to endure. But don't give up. Keep enduring. The last word. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. Flee from idolatry to what? To worship Jesus. That's what we're going to do today. And that's the, that's the refrain. That's what we do. We flee from sin to worship Jesus. We worship Jesus through, we're going to worship Jesus through taking of communion. We're going to worship Jesus here in a moment through singing. We're going to worship later through giving. Later you're going to go home and worship Jesus through eating. Will you decide today that I'm going to worship Jesus with my entire life? Will you decide that? Will you, will you say, Jesus, I want to worship you with everything I say and do and flee from the idols of my heart to worship you, Jesus, in spirit and truth? And where I find myself at odd with you and your word, give me the freedom, the grace, the power to repent and walk in the new free life that you've given me. If you have any questions about a lot that we've said today, I'll be out, I'll be out here after you can talk to me after the sermon. But let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for being our, our good God and King. We thank you that you've set us free in order to live free. Help us to see that we are free to worship you. And therefore, may we do that. May we actually worship you with our entire lives, continually repenting, coming back to you, receiving forgiveness, worshiping you fully, and then be a people who herald the truth and tell the world of the only God that can set them free. May we be a people who, who live like salt and light in this world that can offer people life and redemption willfully, cheerfully show them that Jesus, you're the only way. And may we see by your grace transformation in our city, transformation through the gospel. May we see revival. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.